Hello, welcome back to the final third podcast news and predictions episode. We are the final third podcast, uh, the number one soccer variety show on the internet. As always, my name is AJ Tabura, one of the hosts. I'm a supporter of Minnesota United, West Ham United, and the U.S. national teams. And I'm joined, as always, by Jack. Hello. Yeah. And yeah. I support uh, Chelsea, who won over Arsenal today. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe a bit of a fluke win because they probably should have had a second goal. But we move. Uh, Atlanta, <laughs> uh, who also won a preseason friendly. So there we go. Uh, Minnesota United, who we're going to talk about for a little bit. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the French national team and the U.S. men's national team. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like Jack was saying, we are going to talk about Minnesota United just on the top of the show because we got some stuff to get off our chests yeah. there. <laughs> but as always, if you're a fan of the show, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. We use Twitter more, so definitely give us a follow there. Uh, what else? Oh, we're thinking about starting an FPL league. Yeah. Uh, and if we decide to do that, that's going to be in the description or we're going to release uh, the league probably later this week if we end up doing that. It's going to happen eventually. Yes. It, we, yes. we just need to get around to doing it. Mm -hmm, absolutely. All right. And uh, with that, obviously, this is the news and predictions episode. We're going to go through some big stories, give some predictions on all things soccer all around the world. Let's get started. This isn't really a newsroom. This is us just venting. Uh, Minnesota United played Vancouver Whitecaps in MLS, pre uh, not preseason, regular season game. Uh, and it was you know, a, a pretty a big game considering it was away from home uh, in Salt Lake City, which is yeah. where Vancouver was staying for the first half of the season. Still a tough to place to play regardless. COVID. Yes, yes. Uh, they scored early in the in the first half, not early, 36th minute. Yeah. We equalized. We came uh, up front in the 75th minute with a Robin Ludd goal. And then something happened, Jack. I'll let you explain the rest of it. Uh, Christian uh, the Diver, uh, the, the homie, whatever. Yeah, uh, not, not my homie. <laughs> yeah, not my homie. But yeah. uh, he, he um, created some contact in the box in the last minute with Ethan Finlay. And I was watching and the commentators were like, Oh, that's not a foul. That's not a penalty. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And they're and they're like, if anything, he's fouling Ethan Finlay because he like lifts up his leg, yes. trips Ethan Finlay into falling into him. And then the referee's like, no, nah, it's a penalty. He goes to VAR. It's a penalty still. He, they don't ask him to go over to the monitor, which I've seen them go over to the he's monitor stupid. for a lot yeah. less. Ugh. And it's just ridiculous. And they give him a penalty and they equalize in the last uh, the last minute or last second of the game really i think that yeah i think that was the last kick they, the there game. was they they allowed uh, us to kick off again and that was it and uh th that was that's ridiculous just call it at that mm -hmm. point but uh still um so minnesota united they did not drop two points i saw a tweet saying this we did not drop two points we had two points stolen from us yes like yes. that is highway robbery right there that just out, out of nowhere that that should not have happened should not have been given mm -hmm. i don't think i've seen a single person say it's a penalty. Well, a single person that's not an idiot, to be fair. True, I, but I, I, I even haven't. I even even some idiots. <laughs> I, I, I've seen some idiots. I've seen some idiots. I, th I think even Alexi Lalas would say that's not a penalty. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. See, my problem is, and I tweeted about this, and yeah, it, it was kind of a banger tweet. Not gonna uh -huh, lie. Okay. Uh, that it's literally endangering the defender. Right. And this is the thing I hate most about basketball is when attackers try to create contact they purposely dive and put the defender in a, a, a physical altercation with them in order to get the foul or in this case a penalty he, like you said he literally hooks his leg around him 
and then hooks his arm around Ethan Finley to right. pull him down. Right. And, and I tweeted like, hey, like if this is just a regular dive, I don't think I have a problem with it. This is literally putting defenders in jeopardy like this, a defender is going to get hurt. And we've seen, right, of course, we've seen players before like defenders get hurt when the attacker tries some dumb stuff. So I, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that call. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the rest of the show. Uh, we're first going to talk about stuff in the newsroom where we talk about, uh, you know, some big stories going on around the world. We're going stateside, first of all, to talk about the Gold Cup. Uh, the USA plays Mexico, shocker, in the Gold Cup final. Uh, that's happening tonight. We're recording this beforehand. So this is where I'm going to cut into me talking about if we lost or if we won, we probably lost. So uh, uh, have some hope. <laughs> OK, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have some hope. Uh, but AJ, from five hours from now, uh, was I right to have some hope? The answer, AJ, is yes. You definitely should have had hope because the USA just won the 2021 Gold Cup over Mexico 1-0 in extra time. I was screaming at my TV. I was jumping up and down when that Robinson goal went in. So let's talk about this. It, this episode's going to be a bit longer because I want to talk about this and the U.S. Women's National Team game, which I'm going to be getting up at 3 a.m. for. Uh, but I, I, I thought let's talk about some of the games, major takeaways from those games, Qatar and Mexico. And let's talk about the major takeaways from this tournament as a whole. All right, let's do it. Uh, USA versus Qatar. I thought Qatar played very well defensively. Uh, offensively, they've also been playing very well this tournament. Uh, what, they scored 12 goals or something in the group stage or 12 goals in all so far this tournament. And it really showed. I think they have a really good football team. Uh, they tried to hit us on the break and uh, they outshot and outchanced us quite a bit they were very content on hanging back and especially in the first half it, it was Qatar's game to be fair it, it was Qatar's uh match that they were really winning uh all of the aspects of the game and really they were outmatching us the main takeaways that I saw throughout this game was that Kellen Acosta <laughs> is a menace he, he messed with the penalty taker Hassan Alhaido's a penalty that was unfortunately uh, conceded by James Sands, who has been having a nervy set of games ever since moving into the, the back four, the four, three, three. I don't think a, a, a back four really suits him. I think a back three really does as that central uh, center back. But that's not what we're talking about. That's another thing. Kellen Acosta messed with uh, the penalty taker for Qatar, uh, the equivalent of icing the kicker in the NFL, just kind of, you know, mess with him, try to waste as much time to get into his head and Haidos missed the chance he missed the penalty and you know uh, Turner kept his clean sheet there uh, overall the front three of Hoppy Deacon and Areola all played pretty badly I think DK had some pretty poor first touches even bottling a chance delivered by I believe Hoppy uh, but to be fair Hoppy as always was creating things he, he was getting balls especially to uh, a ball to Shaq Moore I believe who uh, had a poor touch and could have scored but missed that uh, another major takeaway I took from Qatar was Berhalter made some smart subs, bringing on Zardes, Roldan, Cannon, Giochini, and Williamson. All five had pretty key uh, roles into getting the win here. They changed the game for the better. Uh, case in points, Giochini and Zardes combined to take USA to the final. Zardes scored that goal. Uh, and this goal was really created by Zardes, 
Giochini and Williamson. Williamson uh, was able to, uh, I believe, contest the ball for Zardas to win, uh, send it to Giochini, or uh, whatever it was. Giochini uh, uh, won the ball and passed it to Zardas, and that was very impressive. Those subs were very impactful, and I'm very impressed by Berhalter for really seeing that as an opportunity to really run Qatar down because those subs put in injected a lot of energy into this game when Qatar really doesn't have the depth beyond their starting 11 to compete so Qatar was very tired they're very sluggish towards about the 70th minute and Ber Berhalter and uh with his subs that for the front three really changed the game up and we won it off of those subs and that's a very it's a positive note to put on Burhalter because he was able to see that change. Uh, I've said the same thing like two times. So let's move on to USA versus Mexico, which is obviously the game that we are all interested in. Mexico had better players than us. Like that, let's just get that clear. That's why we didn't really bother possess possessing the ball because they would outclass us. Instead, we try to stay strong defensively, counter press, and hit them on the break. And for the most part, it worked. Mexico had their chances, but. Fortunately for us, couldn't finish, and Turner came up huge so many times. You could say the same for us. We couldn't finish, and their goalkeeper came up huge as well. Uh, bottom line, they almost doubled our accurate passes and our shots, so they're definitely in control for the majority of this game. They were also more clinical in picking up second balls. One of the thing that, things that I've noticed was that there would be so many times where a ball would go towards a U.S. player, either from a long goal kick from Alfredo Talavera of Mexico, their goalkeeper, or uh, a mishit pass from one of the, the U.S. teammates. When that ball would come towards the U.S. player, they would try their best to collect it or head it, but it would be just an errant pass or an errant ball that an, a Mexican player would be able to scoop up. That was pretty concerning. That kind of aided to our... Uh, lack of control at all in this game and you could say that's part of you know playing uh, very defensively just trying to survive and just get those balls out as quickly as possible but at the same time you kind of at least want to have some control really slow things down and while that did happen a lot that was something that I've noticed was kind of an issue towards the first half and the beginning of the second half transitioning into the final third name drop was also a pretty big concern Ariola and Zardes had their fair share of bad misses. I mean, Areola hitting the post was the biggest one. Zardes also kind of bottled a couple of chances. So that uh, that clinicalness in the final third, uh, finishing those chances is a concern. Literally, if any of our main uh, attackers, Reina, Pule, Six Sergeant, would take those shots, it would have been a goal. Poppy, Legette, and Williamson also had a hard time finding their guy in the attacking third. A lot of our attempts to transition led to errant clearances for a Mexican defender to take care of. I really appreciate the, the chances that Hoppy and Williamson were trying to create, but at the same time, you know, these Mexican players are very good at reading those, very good at staying calm under pressure, and they were able to take care of them. That's something that will, will improve over time, because I if I remember correctly, there wasn't a single player in this uh, lineup who has scored against Mexico before Miles Robinson, or most of them didn't even have uh, more than 10 caps, I think. I I'm blanking on who has more than 10 caps. Probably Sebastian Legette, Paul Areola, uh, Kellen Acosta, maybe. But really, this is a young team, and I think uh, once they get used to playing in these high-pressure situations, that final third transitions will improve. 
But the biggest takeaway I've had in this game is defensive strength. I got some stats for you guys. Miles Robinson, seven duels one, 11 clearances, one successful tackle, five aerials one, four interceptions, two recoveries, one header goal in the 117th minute. He came up huge on both sides of the ball. Really great from him. Matt Turner, oh, Matt Turner, Greg of the Revolution Recap sung praises for him. I've sung praises for him. Jack has sung praises for him. He's an amazing, amazing goalkeeper. Five saves. Five saves in this game. He has not conceded a goal from open play this entire tournament. He was the Golden Glove winner, and for good reason. He was, his shot-stopping ability is really unmatched. Literally world-class elite level, if I may say so myself. You can, you can really argue that his playing with his feet is not great, but everything else is just amazing. Matt Turner is, for my money, in contention for the number one goalkeeper spot, and I'll talk about that a bit later. And Kellen Acosta, I was not high on Kellen Acosta for the majority of his time with the U.S. Men's National Team previously. It wasn't until very recently where I was like, all right, Acosta's pretty good. You know, he's played really well. He's had an amazing tournament, and for my money, was the man of the match this game. Seven duels, one, three clearances, three tackles, one, seven interceptions, eight recoveries, and one beautiful assist across of a free kick to find Miles Robinson really well. Really, really great. Bello Cannon Williamson also did pretty well this game too, but really that, those defensive players really, really shined. It really was a survive another day type of deal for this entire game. The defense came up strong. We just kept on trying to create chances after chances, just trying to just uh jerry rig some solution to the problems that we kept on running into and even though we couldn't finish all those chances the fact that we were bending and not breaking that's something i've been saying a lot bending and not breaking you know falling under pressure in the defense but standing strong and just trying to send balls forward trying to create something that out of our butts that always kept us in the game until 27 minutes into extra time we score off a miles robinson header very, very good from us. The major takeaways from this entire tournament. This is what we've all been waiting for. Number one, Greg Berhalter needs our respect. That's two trophies in one summer. The first time we have ever beat Mexico in two consecutive finals. That's crazy. He's learned from his mistakes. He's making better starting 11 choices. And I, I think a lot of that was in the early parts of the tournament in the friendlies. He's just experimenting. Now we can see that he can line up a, a, a starting 11. Like the starting 11 for this game, minus maybe Paul Areola, was very good. George Bello starting, Eric Williamson starting. Great, great choices. They, they did their jobs perfectly. Reggie Cannon over Moore uh, was great as well. Jossie uh, uh, Zardes for DK, great as well. He's making in-game adjustments that we need too. Whether it's the subs the last two games or moving Busio deeper in the Jamaica game, that's really important for us to see. Because it tells us that he's like, he can see that, oh, this isn't working. Let's do this to fix it. And he's able to fix it. That's, that's incredible. Like, that's not, that's not something that we've really seen from him. And I'm really impressed by that. He's built a culture of winners, a culture that players want to be a part of. And he has the tactics to now back it up as well. For the, for the most part, unless we really crash out of the World Cup qualifiers really early on, he's got my respect. Number two, we have a lot more depth than we thought we had. The main point of this tournament was to find our depth, find the players that we think can be a part of this World Cup qualifier 23s. And so here are my players I think have played their way throughout this tournament into the World Cup qualifying roster by tiers. 
the A tier or the in the 23, where it's undisputed that they have a spot in this 23. Um, Acosta, Kellen Acosta, great defensively, can ha- do some work to improve his game in possession. But when you are in El Salvador, when you're in Honduras and you need someone who just work his butt off and just, you know, be that workhorse for you, Kellen Acosta is your guy. Sebastian Legette is one that I've always been high on. He didn't have the greatest tournaments, but he's kind of a Swiss army knife in terms of what he brings to the table. I think he he started out this uh, tournament in this A tier, in the 23 tier. I think he stays here. Miles Robinson just had an amazing tournament. It was great defensively, clearance after clearance after clearance, and of course, scored this goal against Mexico. He's up there in the 23, starting even, I don't know, but... He's definitely in the, those top four center back spots, in my opinion, at least for now. Uh, Turner, Matt Turner, he's definitely in the top three goalkeepers. That's undisputed. Where he is in those three can be disputed. Uh, I think he, at the very least, is number two. Whether or not he could be potentially number one, we'll see how the MLS season goes. We'll see if he can get a move and really up his game, but his shot stopping ability is unmatched. And Reggie Cannon was always going to be here. He's a great uh, back backup right back for uh, Sergino Dest. All of them had amazing tournaments. Uh, the B tier or on the bubble DK, I would have always put him in the A tier. That's kind of up in the air. He could be in the A tier where he's a lock for the 23, but he just did not have a great tournament he hasn't had the greatest comeback to Orlando and he kind of fizzled out towards the end of his stint with Barnsley. I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's played so many games. So let's give him some time. Daryl DK is still great. Uh, he, he's going to be a very, very good striker for some team in Europe. Uh, Hoppy had a great, great tournament. Really, you know, those spots for the backup striker behind Josh Sargent really are between like DK, Hoppy and PFOC. Hoppy had a very, very good tournament, creating chances, getting some chance himself. Obviously, he scored against Jamaica, so really, really good. Walker Zimmerman, I really wanted to see more of him in the knockout rounds, but in the, the group stage matches that he was a part of, he came up huge. I think that uh, for my money, he is a great backup center back to have. He's on the bubble. Sam Vines, Williamson, Sands, Busio, Moore, and Bello all had pretty good games. I think they're going to be some good backups to the respective spots that they uh encompass especially sands who can be a backup six one of one of the backup six to adams but also as a center back that's great uh versatility to have and then c tier potentially in the conversation i have areola giochini zardas and roldan it's not like any of these players had great uh terrible games but they also did not have the greatest games in this tournament uh zardas and roldan are definitely two names i could see us calling up in case of injury or just in case we just need some different players or whatever. Uh, I wouldn't be mad if I saw them, if I'm being honest. And then D tiers, everybody else. Uh, I don't really see them breaking in too much. The likes of Henry Kessler, at least for now, uh, Jonathan Lewis, Jackson Ewell, hopefully, Brad Guzan, Sean Johnson. Eh, uh, they're good players, but I just don't really see them factoring in. And lastly, we have a winning mentality. That, that's takeaway number three. We have a bend, not break mentality now. It's from the A team down, really. Like from the A team, this is our C team, but we still have this mentality. This culture that Berhalter has brought on is great. It's just a winning mentality. Like it doesn't matter if Mexico brought their A team. It doesn't matter that we play for MLS. We can win this. We will win this. There, there's a video that Berhalter was a part of. Uh, 
where uh, it was a behind the scenes video for the U.S. men's national team. And before the semifinal, he asked, raise your hands if you've been at a final, if you played in the final and only a handful of players raised their hands. He said his speech at the end of the semifinal when they won. He said, all right, raise your hand if you've been to a final. Everyone raised their hands. And that's just that's just the motivation you want from a, a manager. That's amazing. And, you know, being a part of a lot of teams, trying to motivate a lot of uh, teams in the past, that that's a masterclass. He's had a masterclass this entire tournament, this entire summer. Uh, congratulations, Berhalter. Congratulations, U.S. Men's National Team. And uh, before I leave you on this very long U.S. Men's National Team corner, I have to say, Jackson Ewell has more international trophies than Lionel Messi. Just saying. All right. Thanks, guys. Back to the show where we talk more about the Gold Cup. All right. Well, uh, I, I don't know what he said there, but <laughs> I, I'm hoping he was happy. Uh, but, Jack, we're not just talking about what happened in the final. We're also talking about some impressive teams. Uh, I, I wrote down three impressive teams, and it's not just impressive because we talked about impressive teams. It, the way that I took it, at least, it was teams that should be confident going into World Cup qualifiers or the rest of the World Cup cycle. Jack, do you have any in particular that you want to highlight? I'm still going to highlight Qatar. I don't sure. like I don't like Qatar as a as from a human rights perspective, but from from a soccer perspective, they they play pretty good. Uh, they play pretty well, and they they uh, you know they gave the U.S. a bit of a fight in the uh, semifinal. It wasn't an easy match. It took uh, only the best striker in U.S. Mountains National Team history, of course, yeah, to, break the, <laughs> to break the deadlock at the 86th minute and also a missed penalty, to be fair. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it was it was by no means an easy game for the U.S. They really gave us a run for everything and they were impressive. And also they're the only team that is officially qualified for the World Cup. Yeah. So they're they're going to go into that with confidence. They're playing on home soil. And they're already qualified. They, mm -hmm. they can just focus on just getting into shape and getting ready, trying out yeah. new tactics and or actually they don't need to try out new tactics. The one the ones they were trying out already work pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that they have a lot to look forward to. And I, I think, you know, a, a lot of people are like, oh, they're, they're pretty good. But I don't think we realized how good they would be at this right. tournament. Yeah, I, I definitely agree uh, I, they're also, I think, still playing World Cup qualifier games. They are, yeah. Uh, but they're like, if they qualify, well, they already qualified, so it's the point, the spot below them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, so they have a lot of practice ahead of them, and I think that they're going to be pretty good at their home World Cup. We say that they're probably just going to go out in the group <laughs> stage. At least that's my hope. Uh, I hope so too. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm also going to highlight Jamaica. They had a really solid group stage showing, losing just barely to Costa Rica. Made it very close against the U.S. men's national team in the quarterfinals. Uh, Leon Bailey was injured, but if he wasn't injured for that quarterfinal, I think it could have been a different game. But him, Bobby Reed, Kamar Lawrence, Damian Lowe all played very well. It was a big showing for them, and I think they're going to have another big showing going ahead in World Cup qualifying. Uh, Jack, do you have any others before I get to my third one? Because I also highlighted guitar. Yeah, uh, one, one other one. El Salvador. Okay. I think. And the reason why I want to highlight them is because they have not historically been great. That's and, true. Uh, you know, I, I I think in one of our first episodes when I used to do Jack in Time, I talked about El Salvador's one appearance at their. Yeah, I think one appearance at the World Cup in which they were subject to the worst or biggest defeat in history. But they scored one goal in it. And, you know, I I, uh, I, I also mentioned I took a history of soccer class and I had a professor 
who uh, is from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, she uh, she was talking about how El Salvador is on the up and up again. And I was like, yeah, OK, fine, whatever. <laughs> but they, they kind of are. I mean, they, they, they did really well in uh, in in this tournament. They I mean, beating Guatemala, I think, it was, yeah, Guatemala and then also beating Trinidad and Tobago. Not too impressive, but holding Mexico to one zero over yeah. them. That's that's not bad like that. It, it's certainly not fantastic, mm-hmm. but. You know, holding them to that level is very impressive. And then Qatar, a three to two uh, uh, loss against them. Not bad at all. Pretty respectable. And, and, you know, for a for a country that has had such a rough history Mm -hmm. when it comes to soccer and just in general with politics and so many other factors, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to see them going this far into a tournament, making it into the quarterfinals, Mm -hmm. almost having a shot at the at, at the, you know, the. Why can't I think of it? Semi-final. That's the <laughs> word go. I wanted. Good job, Jack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they had someone who scored in, in that quarterfinal two goals in three minutes. That's impressive Pretty as well. Good. So, you know, I, I think they're, they're, they have a lot to look forward to in, uh, I think we call it the Ocho, right? Is the that Ocho, one? the Octagonal, that, whatever you want whatever. to call it. I, I, I don't know. I've heard so many different yeah. names for it. And, but whatever, they, they have a lot to look forward to. Mm-hmm. The Hex is what they used to be called when it was six teams. Now it's, there's so many different names. Uh, I think, yeah, they have a lot to look forward to there. I did look up their World Cup history. They've been to two World Cups. Oh, okay. I, I thought there was one other one. And they got last place every single time. They have not it. won a single game. They did score that one goal you mentioned. Yep. So, hey, maybe. I, that's their only goal in World Cup history, right? Yep. yep. Maybe. Maybe this is the year. Maybe, maybe. 2022. This is it. This is it. We'll see. The, the last team that I'm going to mention is Canada. Only lost to the USA. Uh, in the in the group stage, beat Costa Rica 2-0 to make it to the semis. This is without Akinola, David, Davies, Laren. And you had such great players come up and really stake their claim on this team and possibly in Europe, like Tejan Buchanan. I uh, was a huge fan of him. Greg of Revolution Recap, when he came on, is what was a huge fan of his. Then we have also have Jonathan Osorio Lorea or Lahi, which I believe is how you pronounce it in a... Uh, in his home country of, I believe, Ghana or... I yeah. think so. Yeah, and uh, first of all, cool name. Uh, also, Kyle Laren. So we, we have huge talents that are coming up. Lost to a terrible, terrible call against them in the game against Mexico. Yep. And Jack and I tweeted about this, and this is why, this is why I want to bring this up, because I want to talk about this very briefly. But the reason why I say it's terrible was it was a Hector Herrera goal in, like, the, the seventh minute of stoppage time. The 89th, or 99th, sorry. Yeah. 99th minute, I believe. Yeah, it, it was super late. And the reason why it was super late was because Mexican fans, as they are now kind of known for doing, started that homophobic chant that right. many people know. And so CONCACAF and FIFA have this protocol that says, like, hey, if that happens for the first time, everyone, all the players have to go to the, the, the center circle and just, like, chill out for a bit until it stops. Well, guess what? That ref, that happened, and... He didn't allot any more added time. The Mexican team was able to huddle up and come with a game plan to get that game winner. And they did. And Canada, rightfully so, was mad because that anti-homophobia break that they had only served to benefit Mexico because it allowed them to buy more time in order to find that goal which is the exact opposite of what you want when you're trying to stamp out homophobia. You don't want to incentivize it. 
It's just stupid, right, Jack? Like, right, I'm yeah. not crazy here. No, right? it, it's stupid. It doesn't affect them negatively at all. We haven't seen it affect them negatively. Like the same thing happened against Trinidad and Tobago. They they did the chant. They stopped and they scored, but it was offside. But still, they like it. It, it has benefited them every single time, and it it it's just so stupid. You you can you're giving them a free pass to and incentivizing the chant, not discouraging it, not just not not even attacking it at all you're incentivizing it because now mexican fans are like hey we can give our team an advantage we don't even have to we we don't have to play to give them an advantage we literally just have to say this one thing and everything and everything goes our way and you know i i I think it's i think it's stupid i think what needs to be done is you know make it clear they can't pass this punishment off to the women's team like they did Mm -hmm. kick the fans out of stadiums literally don't let them come in i don't i don't I, I don't care if, if uh, like they're like, oh, I didn't say the chant. Who cares? Everyone else is is seeming to do it. Kick them out. Get, get rid of Mexico's gate revenue. As soon as you get rid of their gate revenue, hit them in their wallets. It's over. You, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll end it because Mexico and every other country who plays soccer likes one thing more than winning. And it's called money. <laughs> so if you can get rid of some money for them, they'll find a way to stop it. Yes, they will. And uh yeah, I I I think I feel bad for Canada because Canada did not deserve this. Yeah. Can- Canada did Canada did I can even speak. <laughs> Canada did. <laughs> <laughs> the Canadian men's national team, there you go, did everything that they needed to do. They they right. finally scored a goal against Mexico. Mexico had not conceded. They were playing very well. They they participated in the anti-homophobia break and they got screwed over for it. Right. And it's just stupid. I, I completely agree. Mexico needs to have some World Cup qualifier games at home have no fans. And that's not only going to hurt them financially, that's probably going to hurt them competitively. The finals happening tonight. We don't know what's happening. What if you had a bet if this chant was going to happen again tonight? Would you say yes or would you say no? Uh, yeah, it's going to happen. Oh, it, it, and do you know what else is going to happen? I guarantee a Mexican player is going to choke out an American oh. player. I guarantee. And I guarantee that they'll get away with it, too. <sighs> As always, I'm, uh, as long as it's not a blowout loss for the U.S. men's national team, I'm not going to be sad. Oh, it's going to be a blowout win. Giassi Zardes is going to score yes, eight goals. Yes. <laughs> my point is, I won't be sad if we lose. I will be mad if homophobia or blatant cheating happens. And from the track record against Mexico, against not just the U.S., but like any other CONCACAF nation, that's going to happen. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, Let's move on because this can make me sad talking about homophobia and, and the Gold Cup. Yeah. Uh, well, this is where I'm going to insert the U.S. Women's National Team corner if we lose against Canada, which I really hope is not happening. I, I am going to I am going to wake up at 5 a.m. Oh, or no. not 5 a.m. I'm going to record at 5 a.m. this segment right here. So apologies if I do sound tired. Uh, going over the games that have happened since last week, USA versus Australia. Very quickly going over these games before we get to uh canada's game which i'm gonna record at 5 a.m not looking not looking forward for that but usa versus australia the world champions decided to sit back it was a timid game one that saw the u.s women's national team content with a draw to guarantee a spot in the quarterfinals they were able to get australia's best players sam kerr marked out of the game but on the other side of the ball couldn't create much meg linehan and steph yang had an excellent article on the athletic talking about it and they highlighted how much possession and control the u.s women's national team ceded to australia 
They were outshot 8 to 10, outpossessed 35 to 65 percent, and outpassed 322 to 596. They played for a draw, and the players and the coach literally came out and said that. They didn't get outclassed. They were the ones in the driver's seat the entire time, whether or not that was for a good or for bad. But it sucked to watch. I woke up early to watch it. The U.S. Women's National Team should have the tactical and technical advantage over every single other national team, including Australia. Playing aggressive is our usual game plan. Flacco went out with a conservative lineup, in my mind, because that was better than getting picked, pinned back like in the Sweden game. But that's not to mention our main structural issue, which is our older lineup. Uh, that, that's, that's the main issue at play here. I, I guess the other one is our, our, our weak tune-up games. Like we had, we played weaker opposition for like the past year, pretty much in the summer series and the She Believes Cup. I think that kind of masks the fact that maybe we aren't as dominant as we once were. Case in point, when we move on to the USA versus the Netherlands game, this was a crazy, crazy game. I think this was really an evenly matched game. The Netherlands came in as the highest scoring team in the tournament so far, scoring 21 goals in the group stage. Uh, Medima scored early, just caught the USA sleeping there. It seems like it could have been the beginning of a comfortable Netherlands win, but two quick fire goals in the first half, one by Sam Mewis, assisted by Lynn Williams, and another goal scored by Lynn Williams gave the U.S. Women's National Team the lead. A 54th Medima goal equalized the game 2-2. Uh, two to two. In the 80th minute, the USA gave away a penalty. Not great defensive work there, but thankfully for all of us, it was saved beautifully by goalkeeper uh, uh, Alyssa Nair. Mertens was the taker that missed there. And after literally nine goals that were called off due to offsides, the game went to penalties where Nair came up huge and saved two Dutch penalties. And Press, Rapino, Lavelle, and Morgan came up huge to score decisive penalties to send us through to the semifinal. The takeaway from this game was that we're good, but that's de there's definitely issues at play. Our defense, mainly Dahlkamper, had poor games. So is it time that we bring in Davidson for the Canada game? Maybe. But it's not just one specific player, but structurally, the way that we are designing our defense leaves a lot of space and leaves a lot of room for good players to make runs and ca catch us sleeping if we do turn off for even a second. Rapino, despite making the penalty, was ineffective when she came on, and Vlaco still hasn't been able to make any real in-game changes that satisfy U.S. Women's National Team fans. I think even him taking off Lynn Williams and Sam U.S. was a mistake because they had the chemistry to potentially get another goal within themselves. Uh, I think he should have kept them on for longer. Uh, there's not a lot of problem solving that I'm really seeing from Vlaco. It's like, let's stick with plan A, and if plan A doesn't work, Stick with plan A some more. <laughs> but hey, we won. Nair is a beast. Medima, Mertens, and Van de Donk are all great players. They're going to have great seasons for their respective clubs. Uh, the Netherlands should still be proud of this performance. Now, we're, I'm going to cut to 5 a.m. AJ to see what he thinks of the Canada game. All right. I'm recording this at 5 a.m. So I apologize if my energy uh, is low or if my thoughts are not coherent, but I just finished the USA versus Canada game in the women's side of the football tournament in the Olympics. Uh, after 22 years, we've lost to Canada. The game ended 1-0 for the bad guys, and this is the first time we've ever lost them in a competitive game. Maybe it's karma for 2012, where we 
uh, also didn't deserve to win that game. I don't know, but uh, sucks to lose a game, which I feel like we could have won. Uh, there are obviously two main highlights or lowlights rather of this game. Nair going down in the first half and the penalty that was called against us. Nair in the first half went down with a knee injury. Don't really know what caused it. He, she took a pretty bad fall, but it wasn't until she took a goal kick that she signaled to come off. Uh, Adriana French stepped up and she did fine. But Nair, who came up huge, saving three penalties last game, obviously could have helped us later on when we did concede a penalty. Uh, but such is life. I mean, it sucks. I hope Nair's okay. But right now, we don't know how serious the injury is. If I had a guess, I don't think she'll be able to play against uh, whoever it is we're going to be playing in the bronze medal match. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it sucks to lose her, uh, bottom line. In the second half, uh, the, the second low light, I suppose, is the penalty against us. In the second half, uh, Tierna Davidson tried to clear the ball in the defensive third in the box, but Rose of Canada came in between her and the ball and gets nailed in the leg. Yes, she kind of creates the contact by like jumping in the way uh, of the kick. I don't think that was malicious at all. I don't think she was trying to dive. I literally just think she was trying to get that 50-50 ball. Is that a penalty? It's hard because it's being called both ways because the attacker creates the contact, right? Uh, what more can you really ask a defender to do, right? I think that's the question that most people ask when a penalty is called is what, what else do you want the defender to do? Well, yes, like uh, Rose creates the contact, but the defender needs to kind of be aware of where that attacker is. And so... Is it really an excuse that she, you know, dived in the, not dived, like, like jumped in the way of that ball? I don't really think it is. I, th I think like that is a fair call. Uh, to me, the penalty really could have gone either way. And I think it's fair that it did go against us. It's unlucky that it did go against us. But in all reality, like if that was for us, we'd probably think that was fair. And so I, I think like blaming this loss on just that penalty is kind of, you know, BS. I I don't think the ref was at fault there. Uh, I think there's a lot more that we could have been done to prevent this loss. Uh, and we lost because of Vlako's roster choices and his lack of in-game adjustments. Benching Mewis for this game was very, very confusing to me. I, I, I don't understand why we did it when her and Lynn Williams had a really good chemistry last game. I just mentioned that uh, in the rest of this uh, U.S. Women's National Team corner. Uh, relying on older starters while keeping the likes of Purse, Sophia Smith, or Sullivan at home is very hard to swallow. Uh, and this roster, like I mentioned before, has been old from the get-go, and that really hasn't helped us. I mean, Tieran Davidson is the youngest player on this team, and she's like, what, 24? Like, th there could have been a lot of younger crops of uh, players that could have come in and helped us instead of relying on older players who are slow, might be uh, losing their positioning or their fish finishing skills. We've seen with like the front three uh, and the fact that they can't you know, finish an entire game really kind of hurts us in the long run. Then you also look at the defensive conservative approach that really killed us in the end, uh, being too timid for some games and being kind of caught out in others. When you look at the injury, 
in-game adjustments that he made this game in particular, the ones that stuck out to me is Morgan for Lloyd, Rapino for Heath. The, those two subs, those those adjustments he made with the personnel. I, I think it was a, th- those two moves, putting Morgan and Rapino in, is such a weird move when the main issue wasn't necessarily, you know, the front three, I would even say. I, I think really it was the main issue between the, the connection between the midfield and the front three. I think Lindsey Horan is obviously tired. I, I don't think that she had the, the, the best of games. I think subbing her off, maybe Julie Ertz even for the likes of uh, the Mua sisters or uh, some other midfielder would have been better at creating energy and also bridging the gap between the middle and the final third. And this lack of proper problem solving has been an issue this whole tournament. Uh, when when posed with a problem, Flacco really hasn't demonstrated that he can get his himself out of it. We, we saw this with uh, the previous games especially with Sweden. And now when you have the the Canadian defense that really st- was on their head, whether it was, I want to say Laba, their goalkeeper, uh, Gills, Vanessa Gills, their center back, Buchanan, their other center back, that they, like, they came up huge. And when posed with that, that brick wall, he couldn't take the jackhammer and blast through it. He was just, Vlako was just, you know, stopped in his tracks and he couldn't, find a proper solution to these issues <clears throat> sorry and the quality of play has been on the decline since Blacko has been appointed so should he be fired i don't know nobody has won the world cup and then the olympics like that, that's never happened the curse still continues but then again he's expected to yes he's done well in friendlies but this is the tournament that you should be winning right there are two major tournaments in women's football, the World Cup and the Olympics. Yes, we have the CONCACAF uh, uh, Championship and we have the She Believes Cup and all these other things, but Olympics and World Cup, those are the two major things. We still have two more years until the next Women's World Cup. That kind of gives us time to get a new head coach if you really need to. I don't know who that would be, but really, if Flacco got fired... I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't even be angry because when you look at the, what this team has declined to in the past two years, it's kind of sad to see. So uh, the big takeaways, well, those are the big takeaways, but the two things I'll end on is, you know, this is the end of an era, really. I, I think for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these women, it's going to be the last game. Megan Rapinoe was kind of tearful at the end of the end of the match like with her interviews and it's kind of sad to see because yes she's old yes i've ragged on her and all the older stars for being a step back but you know these are legends on this team the 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 likes of lloyd the likes of rapino sauerbrunn even they're probably on their way out and that's kind of sad to see uh they still have the bronze medal game against i don't know who yet but it's gonna be 3 a.m on thursday for me and i'm probably not gonna watch that because i'm very tired but yeah i'm not it's it's just it's just uh a, a sad time to say i think this is the end of an era i think we're gonna see a younger crop of players come up uh and lastly congrats to canada and christine sinclair she went off injured i hope she's okay I hope they win the gold medal. I think they deserve it, especially after how we screwed them out of the 2012 World Cup. Uh, really pulling for them. Uh, I've been a big fan of Sinclair's and Canada's for a while. I've been backing them a lot. So 
yep, hoping for them to win. <laughs> We're going to predict the Smash actually later, and that's definitely outdated. So, yeah, all right, that's it for me. Uh, see you guys later. All right, we're back. I hope I hope you didn't have to hear that. I hope uh, if we won against Canada, you'll hear it later on. So whatever. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about transfer hot or not. It's our third week doing this because we got some hot tra or not hot transfers, depending on how you want to view it. Uh, but really quickly, uh, Varon and White are official to uh, Manchester United and Arsenal. Uh, those are officially happening. And I think at least White did play in the preseason friendly. He did, yeah. Against Chelsea, and he apparently was not great. I mean, he made a block, but everyone was... Uh, I saw Arsenal Twitter kind of comparing him to Ramos a little bit too much, and I was like, um... He made one block and yeah. also gave away the ball to a Chelsea player, like, ten minutes later. Maybe I'm not that. I'm not sure yeah. if I'd call him Sergio Ramos, but... You know what? He, was, he wasn't the worst player on the pitch. Okay. But he was not the best player on the pitch either I, I feel like being not the worst player in the pitch is probably a bar that most players should probably yeah. see it, it was Bellerin for for that information if, oh, if you're man. looking he, he he assisted Tammy Abraham for the winner nice, just nice. like straight up assisted him it was fantastic great assist all right well we're gonna talk about potentially some Chelsea players as well so get ready for that but hopefully the, but the first player we're gonna talk about is Daniel Malin to Borussia Dortmund. The 22-year-old former PSV man is moving to Dortmund for reportedly 30 million euros. He's a forward, so he's expected to contribute goals. So, well, 40 goals in three seasons. There you have it. 14 assists as well in the Eredivisie. You know, he's a proven goal scorer and contributor. Holland even went out to say, uh, quote, I told him to give me lots of assists, otherwise I'll get mad at him. <laughs> so that's where Holland is, you know, already has that chemistry. Jack, is this a hot transfer or a not hot transfer? It's a hot transfer just because Holland's going to end up leaving either this summer or next. So it's good future proofing by mm -hmm. Dortmund because they have a striker ready to go. Plus, Mullen is a good player that links up well and could form a deadly duo for a season with Holland. Yeah, he scored 19 and assisted eight. At least that's what I saw in 26 games last season, which is Holland like numbers. It's more than a goal intervent, uh, like a, 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 a goal contribution every game. Yes. So that that's really good numbers. So I, I think that this is this could be a very good combination, a deadly combination and plus 30 million for PSV. Not that's too bad. Good, yeah. That's pretty good, especially since I think they probably got him for less, far less than that. I, I I'd guess around so, the yeah. region of like five million or mm -hmm. something like that. So they, they're going to turn a nice profit from it. All right. Yeah, I, I'm going to say flaming hot. Oh, OK. okay. Molland, which is what fans are calling this duo that's uh, starting, is very, very cool to see. And I think it's going to be a, a lot of goals, hopefully, between the two of them. Uh, the second one and. I didn't really explain this, but hot or not. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Is it good or is it bad? Yes. That's, that's what it means. I means. I, I didn't think I'd have to explain it, but in case you, you still don't know, uh, Jack is going to say whether the transfer is a hot transfer or not hot transfer. Uh, the second one is a little bit off the beaten path. This is Mark Anthony K to Colorado Rapids. This is official. A bit different because we're talking about MLS here, but K is a Canadian midfielder from Los Angeles FC who's moving to Colorado Rapids for $1 million in allocation money. So LAFC is getting that $1 million, and they can use that allocation money to buy down a player's contract to fit within the MLS salary cap. They can use it to bring down the, the transfer fee or whatever. There's a lot of flexibility that they get from the allocation money. 
Kay hasn't had a great 2021, still is yet to get a goal or an assist, but he's been pretty key for this LAFC team before, especially in their supporters' shield-winning season. Jack, Kay to Colorado, hot or not? It's it, it, it's a mild heat, you know, uh, All right. All right. because Colorado are getting an international star who has been consistently good in MLS, maybe not scoring goals and assisting all the time, but breaking up play, still creating some chances. And also he assisted uh, uh, Canada's goal against Mexico. And it's so true. He he's still contributing. It's just that it's not as prominent as, as it used to be, but he he's just great at creating chances and breaking up play. And with Jack Price for Colorado getting a little bit up there in age, I think he's I think he's 32 now, if I'm if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. This is a good option to have uh, to have waiting for you because Mark Anthony K is 26. So, yeah. you know, that that's pretty good. And also LAFC are getting one million dollars yeah. for that. So that's not bad either. Uh, you know, you're you're getting a ton of money one way and you're getting a pretty solid player the other way. Plus, I think LAFC are going to like getting some salary uh, money off of their uh, off of their uh, their accounts, I guess. That, yeah, that's the right sure. way to put it. I was looking for the right word, but it will be helpful for them. Yeah, they also traded another player for 750,000 uh, GAM as well. So they have 1.75 million. They're probably going to buy a big player and have that pretty much count for nothing. Like they're going to get like a free <laughs> player or something. That, that's that's going to be great for them. Uh, I also said it was hot. Just because a million dollars, like we said, is a lot. I think a change of scenery is going to be good for him. And not just Jack Price, but there are inklings that uh, Kellen Acosta or Cole Bassett oh, right. yeah. is, could, could move. Be move on to Europe. So uh, K, no offense to K, uh, was at one point maybe going to Europe. I think he stays for MLS for at least this season. So good, good move for Colorado as well. Uh, let's talk about a team that Jack likes. This is yeah. Chelsea FC. Kunde to Chelsea FC, the young French center back from Sevilla, is reportedly on his way to Chelsea for 35 million euros, plus potentially Zuma. Uh, I don't know if that's what you've been hearing. Yep, that's that's potentially uh, part of it. It's not confirmed that he'd be yes, part of it. Yes, but yeah, but that's what it's currently looking like. Yes, Kunde played the majority of Sevilla's games last season and was in the top five percent of elite center backs in terms of dribbles completed, progressive passes received and top 10% of progressive carries. And he obviously wants, wins a ton of aerials too, which is exactly what you want out of a center back. He's got an attacking mindset as a center back. And he's also, this is just a little bonus, he's also reportedly rejected a move to Tottenham, so that's kind of funny. Yeah, he has. Uh, uh, Jack, sorry. hot or not, this is your team. I want to hear your take. Scorching. <laughs> okay, that, that's what right. I'm saying. I like that. Sevilla could get either 35 million plus a solid center back who has a ton of great aerial ability or up to 75 million if Zuma's not included. Yes. That is a lot of money that you could be getting. And Sevilla, you know, they're pretty shrewd in the transfer market. They're mm-hmm. not making massive signings. They they got Alejandro Gomez for like 7 million last uh, last season. But, you know, the, this could be a fantastic deal because they have a lot of center backs that are really good. Getting Kurt Zuma would add some great goal threat from the back as well. Right. Pro- more than Kunde even. So that 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 could be helpful for them. And, you know, making all that money is fantastic. And then Chelsea get a young, promising center back with it. And it's just a fantastic deal that would be perfect for Chelsea as they want to strengthen their defensive options. Because as it stands, next season, we would have zero center backs under contract. Yes. So we... we uh, Either they're looking to play a 
uh, zero, like nine and one with <laughs> Werner just running onto every lawn ball from everyone in midfield, or they're trying to rebuild for the future. And I think that's what it is. So I think this is a fantastic transfer. Yep. I said it's a hot transfer, too. I think he's a technical center back and he's going to do great for Chelsea. Or maybe I'm hoping he won't. And I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the next transfer we're talking about is not a Chelsea transfer. It's a Tottenham transfer. This is Romero to Tottenham Hotspur from Atlanta to Tottenham for apparently 40 million euros plus 10 million in add ons. The center back was one of Atlanta's best players, ranking in the top 1%. 1% of center backs for pressures, tackles, and interceptions per 90. That is absolutely insane. I'm sure Jack has a lot more to say, so I'm just going to throw it to him. Jack, you're an Adelina fan. Is this hot or not? I don't want it to happen. That's what I'm going to say. It's, <laughs> it would be fantastic for Spurs. It would yes, be huge. Yes. He wants to join them, which is weird. I saw that, and I was like, there's no way. He's He's got to be better than this. He's not even going to play. He's going to play in the Europa Conference League over the Champions mm -hmm. League, but apparently he wants to go there. I don't know why. It's North London, but whatever. Uh, Romero is a key player for Atalanta, so they really want him to stay. This would not be a hot deal for Atalanta. Right. Because he is vital to their 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2 system that they play. He, he is the reason why everyone can push forward, because he's just there to sweep up everything. And he's 20 years old as well, or 21 now. He is a fantastic player, and I think it would be terrible if Atalanta lose him. But right now, it doesn't look incredibly likely to happen because Atalanta might just keep him anyway. And also Spurs haven't offered up to their price. So that's that's another thing. They've I, offered 50 million. Atalanta still want 55 million. Yes, that sounds like Spurs. Yeah, yeah, that sounds it, <laughs> it sounds like Levy. That, that's what I'll say. Uh, but if he goes, he, he's a fantastic addition for Spurs because they need a center back after Alder Virold went to I think Saudi Arabia. I think he went to. He went he went somewhere in the Middle East. That's where I what I know. He, he was chasing the bag, you know, uh, but that. Yeah, I, I think it would be great for Spurs. I don't want it to happen, though. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm sorry, Jack. I'm saying this is a very hot, hot transfer. Well, it is. It is. I just don't want to say it because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's such an upgrade to the defense for Tottenham. Uh, I, I think that that's something that they've been lacking as well as, you know, some midfield issues there. This plus heel or Gill coming and Sun staying is quite, quite the window for them. Kane still might leave, but at the same time, they're going to get a lot of cash for him. Tottenham are kind of looking up. It's kind of scary what they're doing right now. No, it's uh, not. Okay. It's not looking up for them. They still have the they still have the Spurs DNA. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. They still have they still have a. Uh, just a, a a cone in remember, gold. Remember, right now. they they had a nine point lead in December at the league, and they bottled it. So just remember, anything can happen. Anything can happen, but on paper, this is good. I will say yeah. that anything yeah. can happen on paper. This is at least yes, okay. it's, yes, it's a good deal <laughs> on paper. <laughs> All right. Speaking of good on paper and hopefully on the field. We're talking about Areola to West Ham United, the biggest club in London. Uh, screw Chelsea and Tottenham that we've been talking I'll about. I'll allow you to say the biggest club in East London. You can have that. Uh, we're like the only, only <laughs> club in East London. It's You're bigger brand. than Millwall. So well, that's go. undeniable. But yes, I, I'll, I'll take East London and I'll take the rest of London and England too. <laughs> uh, okay. Areola is moving from PSG to West Ham on loan for the season. The goalkeeper played for Fulham last season. They got relegated, but he had an XG minus goals uh, allowed per 90 of 0.21. 
So he was expected to concede 0.21 more goals per game than he did when you really average that out to the rest of the entire season. That obviously adds up to quite a lot of goals. He was a good goalkeeper. Jack, before I go off on this transfer, in your mind, is this hot or not? Yeah, it's a hot transfer. Yeah, let's go. He, he's the ultimate journeyman, I think, at this point. He's just gone everywhere. He just yeah. he, he goes back to PSG. and They're like, oh, we, we don't need yeah, you. He's been to PSG. Real Madrid, I want to say. Real Madrid, say. yep. He's been Fulham, West else? Ham, West and Ham, West Ham, and now. just just all over. I'm I'm actually going to as I as I talk about this, I'm going to look it up as well. But right. you know he he he's a great player. He the club needs more European experience because they don't have a ton of players who played in like European leagues. Mm-hmm. And from the back, that that's perfect. That's kind of what you want to see happening for you. And uh, yeah, I think it's a really good transfer. I, I I don't know what else I can I can say. Like PSG get his wages off the book, uh, and West Ham get a quality goalkeeper. And Fabianski, he, he was good last season, but he's old, mm-hmm. like very old. <laughs> We're getting up there. Uh, so I think that it, it's a very good transfer. And also, he's played for Lons SC Bastia in uh, Italy or France. Sorry, Villarreal, PSG, Real Madrid, Fulham, West Ham. Yeah, he, he's been all over. Yeah, we got to get him into Eastern Europe. He's he's really staying on the West Coast over there in Europe. So I don't, well, know. I, I don't blame him. Yeah, that's that's very true. Jack, I'm about to give my take. Do, do you have any inkling for what I'm about to say right now? I, I think you're going to hype him up a lot. <laughs> this is flaming hot. This is this is so hot. West Ham are an aging squad. We've highlighted this before. Fabianski is 36. Oh, I thought he was 32. <laughs> nope, he is 36. He's been around the block for quite a while. And he got injured twice last year. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not for anything crazy. He just got injured while warming up for some games. He kicked the ball and it just kicked wrong. And he got a hamstring injury and was out for like three games. <laughs> like, I, I, I love Fabianski. I loved him since he was in on Swansea. All right, audio kind of cut out there, but we're back. Like I was saying before, Fabianski is old. He got injured. I liked him a lot, but he's obviously kind of injury prone. So we need a guy like Ariel to step up and fight for the starting spot. Probably will get the starting spot at some point in the season. And I think he will be one of our possible long term solutions in goal. If only we can get a center back and a, a center midfielder and also a striker, a striker. and maybe uh, a winner as well. Yeah, and, oh. yeah. There are movements in that area that we are not talking about, like Pereira of uh, West Brom. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll no. see. We'll <laughs> that's, see how, where. that's how West Ham will beat Chelsea. He, he scores against us every time. Hmm, actually, I like this development that's going on here. <laughs> no. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Areola, and I think that's a hot transfer to West Ham. Six. This on next our one's list. easy. This one's easy. This, yeah, yeah, it's not. Now this is yeah. Grealish to Manchester City. The English wingers reportedly moving from Aston Villa to Manchester City for one hundred and million pounds. The most expensive transfer so far in the Premier League history. We'll see what, what Harry Kane does. I guess. <laughs> uh, Grealish needs no introduction. He had sixteen goal contributions last year, despite only playing twenty six games due to injury. He's an electric attacker who can, can create chances and can carry the ball into dangerous shooting positions. He's one of also one of the better players for England in their Euro run as well. Jack Grealish to City, hot or not? It's a hot transfer, even though I hate him. I really don't like Jack Grealish. He's my least favorite player, I think, in the entire Premier League. But he's very good. He's a fantastic playmaker. He can play on the wing, or he can play centrally. And Aston Villa get $100 million to spend. 
it's a good transfer all around. It, it really is. You know, that that that's about it. Like, I, I mean, I don't think you can disagree with that. Can I disagree with that? Are you going to? <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to say not. I'm going to say for, not for 100 million. I guess it is a lot, but. It, OK, well, first of all, yes, that that's the main reason why I said it's not. Thinking back at it, Man City have the money because, you know, it's Man City. Yeah. But still, like this is hot, obviously, for Grealish, who's getting his payday. I'm going to I'm guessing his salary is going to go crazy. Oh, yeah, for once sure. He moves. But it's not hot for Aston Villa, if I'm being honest, to lose a, a, a budding legend for their club. 100 million is nice, but it's hard to replace Jack Grealish, even if you get Leon Bailey. Hint, hint. We're going to talk about that later. Like nobody can really match his level of output right away which is going to be hard for them especially because it's not like they're a mainstay for the premier league at this point and city have plenty of great wingers and attacking talent do they really need him they're going to need to offload or at least bench one of their great attacking players like you have raheem sterling that could play on the wing do you really need jack Grealish? maybe maybe not that 100 million could be spent somewhere else uh, there are reports saying that even though they are spending 100 million, that's not going to deter them from getting Harry Kane. So they obviously have <laughs> some money bags to throw around. So I don't know. Just uh, I, I think Jack Grealish moving to City isn't the best transfer. I'm, I say that and he's going to be the golden boot winner. So I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think it's really good. I, 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 I think Villa are not going to complain about getting 100 million because, you know, it's that's a lot of money to invest. Like you could buy pretty much a whole starting 11 if you wanted to with that kind of money could you though like yeah, you could maybe like, it, it would probably win the championship with that much like in my mind if you want to get a player of jack Grealish stature you're gonna have to pay 60 million for yeah, but, uh, for a talented winger yeah then then you still get 40 million 30 million but here's million. the problem you spend 60 million but you don't know if they're if that other player's level of output is the same so you're still taking a gamble you have 40 million to throw around sure but like I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say something that's baseball related but the the value over replacement i believe is what they call it uh uh war i don't know i don't know what w is but like the value over replacement jack's value over replacement is huge because he brings up so much he was relatively cheap for them like and losing that and losing his output is a huge detriment to their club success this upcoming season i would not be surprised if aston villa if they lose jack Grealish, i wouldn't say they would get relegated but being <laughs> being in the the position that they are uh a mid-table uh finish would be on the cards for them but, in my opinion but could it be that's exactly what i want to happen to aston, aston villa, villa getting re- i i want that too but i'm just i don't know i don't know <laughs> Uh, this next transfer, moving on from Jack Grealish, as Jack pounds the table just because he's angry that Jack Grealish is moving on to Man City, is Locatelli to Juventus, which I'm guessing Jack's also not a fan of because he doesn't like Juve. Uh, the Euro champion may be on his way to Juve, as I said, currently of Sassuolo. Manuel Locatelli could boost a Juve's midfield. The current bid is 20 million euros plus add-ons, which is so, so far off from what Sassuolo wants. They want at least a cool 40 mil for him. Locatelli got two goals at the Euros and was a key part in Sassuolo's campaign last year, being a key facilitator in the midfield. Jack, hot or not? You're right. I hate Juventus, but I'm still going to say it's a hot transfer okay, just okay. because Sassuolo, their game plan is a lot of developing and selling on players. It really is. Like, a lot of Serie A clubs run on that mentality. And I think 
that this is a good transfer th- for them because netting up to you know 40 million 35 million 40 million in profit that's good mm-hmm. plus juventus can finally control the midfield because they couldn't do it before so maybe this is exactly what they needed because that's where they were losing games and uh yeah I, he doesn't have to adapt to a new league as well so it, i think it would be a great transfer yeah i, I think it's just hot i think sassuolo unlike uh Unlike Astonville, I think them losing Locatelli isn't going to be a, a huge, huge deal, especially because I think that they are a little bit more established in Syria. Yeah, they, they finished pretty high up this like, past I season. I think eighth or something like that. Yeah. So so not terrible. 40 million for him is not a bad return. And Juve could always improve a midfield consisting of Rabiot, Benton, Kaur, McKenney, and Ramsey. Ramsey, I, I think he's not going to get too much playing time given the current talent there. Uh, and I think Locatelli is going to upgrade it immensely. This last transfer we're talking about is Leon Bailey to Aston Villa, which is official. Uh, the Jamaica star man is moving from Bayer Leverkusen of the Bundesliga to Aston Villa, potentially as a Jack Grealish replacement. He's had his ups and downs, according to many Leverkusen fans. He's also been an inconsistent player at times. He's reached 17 goal contributions this last season, so obviously he isn't terrible. He brings pace and great dribbling ability on the wing. Jack, Leon Bailey to Aston Villa, our last transfer we're talking about. Is this hot or not? I'm actually going to say not on this one. The reason why Leverkusen, they are losing a lot of players. They lost two legendary players, the Bender Twins, this past season because they retired. Uh, And now they're losing their best attacker. Realistically, they lost Kai Havertz last season as well. Mm -hmm. Like they they're losing their entire core squad that got them so far. And it's showing the results are dropping off as well. So uh, I I think that this is really bad for them. And uh, also, I I don't think this is what villain need, because we've already seen that, you know, Pacey with good goal contributions isn't exactly a winning combination from switching from, uh, you know, the Bundesliga to the Premier League, as I saw as a Chelsea <laughs> fan last season. So I, I would worry a little bit that, you know, the same thing might happen because the Bundesliga is a very different league to the Premier League. And pace is not all is not the best way to succeed in the Premier League. It helps. But the best way is physicality. It's a, it's a, the most physical league. Boo. It, it's true, though. It, it's true. Know. Like, you, you know, you see you see Pulisic from the like he can get bullied off the ball a lot as well. Boo. Werner gets bullied off the ball. He's fast, but he gets bullied off of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like so it, it can it, I, I feel like that's kind of what this will this will be. And Leverkusen, I, I think this is just them kind of going slowly further and further down the league. They finished uh like in tw- in the 1819 season or yeah i'm thinking right yeah uh, yeah they they finished they finished pretty high up uh then then they went down a place they went down another place in in 2020 and then in 2021 went down another place from fourth to fifth to sixth and just keeps going down as they lose more <sighs> yeah. and more talent and yeah that's what i think i say it's hot because i think that his game actually suits the prime pretty well i think I think he'll be able to adapt pretty okay, but all, I also said that for all of Chelsea's German acquisitions. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I've been disillusioned <laughs> by the <laughs> I, reason. I, I suppose, I suppose. Uh, Villa get a player to compliment Jack if he stays and to replace him if he leaves. That's what I'm going to say for that. That is it for uh, the newsroom. The only thing we have to mention very quickly is I didn't realize this was happening. I did, did not watch the game at all. 
but Lille won the, the French Super Cup over PSG. Jack, how do you pronounce that trophy? Because you took French. The Trophée des Champions. Ooh, sounds fancy, even though it's a Super Cup that nobody really cares about. Congrats to Lille. Congrats to Tim Weah, who was a sub for this game. Great job to him, even though he only played like 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah screw PSG. Ooh. And Icardi, <laughs> who had a terrible game, apparently. Uh, let's move on to Jack's lower league lowdown. We're talking about NPSL playoffs, USL League Two final. These are the lower leagues, the Division Four in uh, the American Soccer Pyramid. We're going to talk about USL as the the season starts to heat up a little bit more in the second half. We're talking about the EFL Championship a little bit too. Jack, take it away. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm I'm going to quick mention the two American finals that or not finals, semifinals for NPSL first. So there were two semifinals uh, in which Tulsa Athletic beat FC Baltimore Christos one to zero, a very close, uh, close result, but uh, a very good one for Tulsa Athletic and Cleveland SC, who, if you remember, beat Minneapolis City, unfortunately, in the uh, in the North Conference final. They fall in an extra time thriller against Denton Diablos three to four. It was two two at full time, but that sets up a match. Between Tulsa at Denton Diablos on August 7th, which should be a good game between two quite impressive sides in NPSL. And two sides that are very, very close together. Oklahoma yes. and Dallas. Those are the, the two. Yeah, uh, very close. Four hours apart. Yeah. So that, that's really cool to see. And, uh, you know, who's going to take home the trophy, though? Who is it going to be? Here's what I think. I think that Tulsa's defensive strength, they're tied in second in the entire NPSL for least goals against at nine should be the key to getting an away win for a national title. If you if you noticed in that in that Denton have given up a lot of goals over the course of their winning, they score a lot, but they give up a lot as well. Uh, They gave up three against Cleveland two in their in their uh, match against uh, Golden State in in the uh, Mm -hmm. conference final. And, you know, I I just think that the regardless, I I think defense wins in this one. And I think uh, that's going to be enough for Tulsa to get a national title. So I'm going to go for two to one, though, because I think Denton's offense just always seems to find a way to score. Mm. So that that's what I'm thinking. It's going to be tough. But given that they're so close together as well, it's going to be a lot easier for fans of of Tulsa to travel potentially. So, you know, I, I think that. That that could be what's happening. AJ, do you have a prediction for that one? Yes, I have a prediction. Not very well researched, but <laughs> I'm going to say it's going to be a 3-3 draw between Denton. Oh, my God. And, yeah, a, a, a real uh, heart stopper there. Denton and Tulsa. And guess what? I have Denton winning on penalties. Uh, how about USL League 2? What happened there? Yeah. Well, on Saturday night, the Des Moines Menace faced off against N- uh, North Carolina Fusion's U23 team. And it is the Iowans who will be adding a second star to their crest, courtesy of a 1-0 win over the youthful North Carolinians. A bit of a scrappy goal, but it was a pretty beautiful delivery for it. Uh, the technique to get up there, absolutely amazing. Des Moines left back played a beautiful ball up to Manny Busquets, uh, who rounded the North Carolina Fusion U23 keeper and then just barely slid the ball into the net. I'm not yeah, sure if you I saw the, this goal, but he he gets fouled right as he delivers it in. And it just it's really slow. It's really yeah. slow going in there, but it just nestles in that bottom corner. And it's just 
perfect and, and hold on his his last name is busquets it is yeah no wonder he scored of course <laughs> yeah uh because sergio busquets is well known for his scoring okay, ability well, uh, <laughs> he was able to get around the, the defenders okay there you go there you go whatever yeah, but uh, either way congrats to our midwestern compatriot on that impressive win adding a second star to their crest that's always cool to see uh, and USL League 2 is a fun league to watch. Yeah, it was. I enjoyed watching the highlights. Uh, Des Moines Menace are a very, very historical club at the amateur level. They have been around for a long time. They packed up Valley Stadium, which is their home stadium, up. Like, I, I looked at the at the photos and videos that thing was jumping so i'm really excited to see that go support your amateur team when the the league start again next year and support any local soccer and for that matter uh speaking of local soccer let's not talk about that anymore (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say that that wasn't quite the lead and i was thinking let's go let's go across the pond jack i know nothing about the efl championship you know a lot about the efl championship how is it looking right now as the season starts next next week? Yeah, next weekend. Wow. Yeah, it starts one week earlier than the Premier League, but it's starting up. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Uh, we've seen some impressive performances in preseason from championship clubs and some shambolic ones, uh, to put it lightly. Uh, so who's going up and who's going down? I have three on each end with some explanations for them. Uh, so let's just go through that. And I think AJ has some. Yeah. Less research predictions <laughs> after after I go. But uh, here we go. Let's start with going down. I have for my first one, Darby County. Uh, it, it's Ooh. just it's just shambolic in the East Midlands. And that's putting it very nicely. They have nine first team players in total in the squad. And their star player, Jason Knight, got injured after being tackled by manager Wayne Rooney. Yes. Add in the takeover rumors, the accounting trouble, which means they are now under a transfer embargo until they resubmit their accounts to the league and have them approved. And so much other uncertainty, they're going to have to rely on youth a lot, which probably won't work out given how much depth you need in the championship. And for God's sake, even Wayne Rooney admitted he won't be able to field a team, really. Yeah. He, he'll, he said he'll hardly be able to field a, for a starting 11. And also their club captain, Tom Lawrence, is permanently banned from driving after crashing his car, leaving an unconscious teammate inside of the crashed vehicle. And yeah. and Wayne Rooney got caught Right, breaking COVID protocol yeah. and, and, and partying. cheating on his wife and with three twenty-one-year-olds. Yeah, this club is insane. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and this just shows how years of bad management can destroy a club, and they might finally be punished for it. They probably should have. Oh, and also they got fined uh, one hundred thousand uh, euros for okay. or okay. one hundred thousand pounds for the account stuff, but they almost got a points deduction, which would have relegated them already. I think it's happening this season. But that that's the longest explanation I have for it, because there's just too much to talk about with Darby. But next, Peterborough United. I think they're going down as well, unfortunately. Honestly, this just comes down to not building up enough. Yes, they brought in George Grant from Lincoln City, who was fantastic in League One. But. Uh, oh, wait, I also want to mention Jake Clark Harris. He's great. He, he was a great striker last season. I don't think it's enough, though. Their squad doesn't have championship experience, and I don't. And I think that just might do him in if Grant and Clark Harris click, though, they might just stay up. But ultimately, they've only brought in George Grant, like literally that's it. And they've gotten rid of like three or four players. I think it's I think that's that's not good enough. And then finally, I've got Bristol City because they struggled last season, finishing 20th, 
no, 19th. Uh, and uh, Bristol City have made fundamentally no changes to their squad. And if anything, they've just weakened it. Their only acquisition has been 32-year-old defensive midfielder Andy Kane from a mid-table Belgian side. Nice. And have offloaded one of their second best goal scorer in Famara Diedhu, who had eight goals and one assist last season, and a young talent in defensive midfielder Liam Walsh. He's 23. So they traded in a 23-year-old defensive mid for a 32-year-old defensive mid. Yes. And left back Tommy Rowe, who played 37 games for them last season. And, you know, uh, they and they also got rid of the flop of the signing, Henry Lonsbury. This squad hasn't gotten better. I don't think they'll stay up this time around. I, I think it might be done for them. No. And finally, and, and then let's go on to going up. A little bit happier stuff. Yeah. And first, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I think Fulham will go up. I don't like Fulham. They're Chelsea's regional rivals, but I can't deny that they've built a solid squad and kept the core of their team from last season. Ford Josh Maja isn't ba- is back at Bordeaux, so he's not there. Alphonse Areola, of course, at West Ham. They've still found solid replacements for them, including former Spurs keeper Paulo Gauzaniga and the exciting young Liverpool talent Harry Wilson. That's the biggest one, who was massively impressive at Cardiff last season. This squad is looking threatening, and they might just have the depth and ability to get right back up. Second, I have Sheffield United. I think the Mighty Blades might only have a short stint in the championship this time around. They've only lost one key player this offseason, being John Lundstrom, but they've kept their core together. They haven't added too many, but ultimately, when they have a squad as good as they as they have, when they're healthy, they were challenging for Premier League, like European football and stuff like that. The, the, they can do this. They can get up. Their only question is over the manager, uh, Jokinovic, that's how you pronounce nice, it, nice. and whether he has the experience to take them back up, as this is his first coaching gig since coaching Fulham in 2018. So we'll see if he'll be good enough. And then here's my most surprising one, because as I was researching, I was like, this this is, this is a bit weird to say, but I think I've got to say it. QPR. I feel like this is almost a dark horse type pick, but I can't deny they've had an impressive offseason. They brought back striker Charlie Austin after his loan and midfielder Sam Field on permanent deals, both from West Brom. And they're good pieces of business, but the and they both came on free transfers as well, which is really fantastic. Uh, but the best one comes in defense, the greatest area of need, because QPR gave up 55 goals last season. Not good. But they do have... Burnley center back Jimmy Dunn, who is a young center back, played a little a little bit of Premier League, but he he's a very good signing. He's young. He has experience. And I think that they needed a new center back and also one with some legs on him that can actually run and recover. Uh, and they had an impressive preseason. They beat Manchester United four to two and they drew with Leicester three to three. Yes, it's preseason, mm-hmm. but it looks bright Okay, because they did start a full strength squad for both of those. So. You know, I, 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 I think that they could do it. I think if they go up, it will be through the playoffs. I don't think it'll get automatic. But other candidates that I think could fight for promotion are West Brom, Swansea and Blackburn Rovers with Adam Armstrong. Ooh, OK, OK. Jack, do you want to hear my? Yeah, list? I'm excited. to. I really want to hear who you picked on a whim. Uh, we have a good amount of overlap. I'm kind of surprised. OK, okay. relegation. I have Peterborough United. OK, Derby County. In Hull City, I don't know. Is really is Hull City a good choice? I don't know. Hull City just got promoted. Yes, but that's I, why I picked them. I, I, I think <laughs> I think they're good enough to get mid table. I really I I think Blackpool, who also got promoted, is more likely to be relegated than Hull. But okay, 
Boo. Yeah. I mean, Black- Blackpool also have Jerry Yates, who had like 35 goals last season or something incredible. So, you know what? It's it's not a bad pick. It's not a terrible All right, pick. Cool. All right. Well, for promotion, I have Fulham as well. Okay. The ultimate yo-yo club. <laughs> QPR as well. Just, really? Okay. I, I didn't think they were actually a, a promotion candidate. I kind of just picked them because I was like, yeah, I'd like to see Queen Parks Rangers <laughs> back up. That, that, was a, that was a fun time when they were here. Uh, then I have my third pick, AFC Bournemouth. That's that's a solid one as well. Yeah. Okay. Really? Yeah. Like, Bour- Bournemouth are, aren't bad for sure, but I don't know. They've just gotten rid of a lot of good players oh, over the crap. past few years. Okay. That's the only reason I didn't put them on here. I, I should have put them as an honorable mention, but. Yeah, they, they, they're solid enough. They're All solid right. enough. All right. They can do it. Now I'm feeling kind of confident. I, I, I also wanted to say uh, Swansea as a sleeper pick just because I have a, a soft spot for uh, the, the, the Welsh giant Swansea City. All right. All right. Well, Jack, anything else for the lower league lowdown or is that it for the week? No, that's it. I mean, I might uh, next next weekend, I might go over some of the first games or yeah, maybe sure. I'll go over League Two, which is the other one. I don't care as much about League One. Except for Charlton Athletic, I like them a lot, but uh, that that may, maybe I'll go over that. Uh, let's move on to some predictions because that is it for the U.S. Women's National Team corner. Jack, how does our predictions game work? What is the, what is the scoring system there? You get ten points if you get the correct winner. You get twenty points if you get the score dead on, and you get zero points if you get none of it right. And I don't think it came into play this week, but. Given that it's the Olympics and the semifinals that we're going to be predicting a lot of, if you get the winner right and they won in a penalty shootout, you get five points. Yes, yes, yes. All right. U.S. Women's National Team versus Australia in the Olympics uh, group stage is what the first game is. I already just covered it. It's a 0-0 draw. Not much to really say there. Both Jack and I said that was going to be a U.S. win. Obviously, that didn't happen. In fact, no goals were scored. I said it was going to be a 2-1 to one win for zero points. Jack said a 3-1 to one, uh, win for the U.S. as well. That's going to be zero points, too. Uh, Jack, Canada versus Great Britain, at least slightly more scoring than this last game. Yeah, same result, though. It was a 1-1 yes, yes. draw. Both of these sides seemed to know a draw was enough to advance because that sure seems like what they were playing for. West Ham women's team player. Let's go. Adriana Leon struck first for Canada in the 55th minute. Very, very well uh, picked out by uh, the midfield and perfectly finished. And then Canada did well to control the match up until the 85th minute (sighs) when a Caroline Weir shot was deflected into the Canadian net by Nichelle Pierce of the Houston Dash Ah. for a 1-1 draw. AJ was so close to 20 points. Literally five minutes minutes away. away. He he had one zero for Canada. Almost a twenty. This is almost. This was a forty point swing. That one it was, goal was, it was a forty point swing. That one goal changed it by forty points because AJ predicted one zero for Canada, which is zero points. <sighs> but I predicted a one one draw for twenty <laughs> points. So uh, AJ, you might have, you might have to take a take up some issue with the Great Britain Women's uh, Olympic Committee. You know, you might need to go down to yeah. uh, to England and have some words. Yeah. Well, guess what, Great Britain? It's not coming home. <laughs> oh, no. It, it literally it, wasn't. It literally isn't. Yeah, it isn't lost, anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, this next game uh, also ended badly for the both of us, actually. True. And spoiler alert, uh, this entire week ended badly for me. Uh, a bit better for Jack. <laughs> a but little bit. This game in particular was bad for the both of us. Spain U23s versus the Argentinian U23s. It ended up being a 1-1 draw. As we talked about in the group stage review, go check it out if you haven't. Spain have a potent attack, yet have come up short for the most part in this group stage. It's enough 
for them to win the group, but they only scored two goals uh, from the two first uh, from the group stage. Yeah, in the group stage. Yeah. As Jack highlighted in the aforementioned podcast episode, a lot of that is due to many of the players playing in both the Euros and the Olympics, and thus fatigue plays a huge role. Argentina also didn't bring their best players and couldn't get it done against Spain. Goals from Marino and Belmonte drew the game one to one, sending Spain as group winners and Argentina home. I said a two to one win for Spain, zero points. Jack said a one nil win for Spain, also Close. zero points. All right, this is actually going to be an actual exciting uh, match. Uh, probably not a draw. LAFC versus Minnesota. Jack, take it away. It was it was an exciting game, even though it did end in a two two draw. Yes, but it, it was by far the most uh, actually no, not by far the most exciting game. That's <laughs> the next one. Uh, it was a very exciting game with two comebacks from Minnesota. Carlos Vela, of course, opened the scoring with a cool finish 40 minutes in, ensuring LAFC went into the half with a 1-0 lead. But just five minutes after halftime, Emmanuel Reynoso got around his defender and put in a beautiful curled shot. He was falling down as he did it and slotted it away into the corner uh, for 1-1. However, LAFC defender Tristan Blackman wasn't having it, and with 13 minutes left, made it 2-1 from a towering header. It looked like that would be enough for LAFC. But it was the boy, Hassani Dotson, Let's go. who scored yet another banger goal. At Bangers the, only. Yeah, of course, at the six or not, not 60, 90 plus <laughs> plus six minute, 96 yes, yes. minute. I was just too excited that I couldn't speak mm-hmm. there when he hit a pass from Gregor, who fell, who was fouled as he was. He was dragged back, hit a pass. It looked like it was going nowhere. Hassani Dotson controls it and hits it on a volley. And puts it right past Romero. Made it 2-2 at the very end. What a game. And it's all LAFC's fault for time wasting as well that mm-hmm. that happened. Karma. It, yeah, karma really. AJ was close to getting some points here. He said 1-0 for LAFC. <laughs> Almost got 10 points. But Hassani Dotson, uh, he had other other plans. I didn't get any points either though. I guess 2-0 for Minnesota. Uh, but no points for me either. So AJ, why don't you take it for the actual most exciting game, and the only non-draw. Yes, Orlando City versus Atlanta United. Uh, what a game. Another iteration of the Atlanta-Orlando derby produced another classic. Joseph Martinez scored a beautiful outside-of-the-box shot just 47 seconds after kickoff. Anani corner found Orlando defender Kyle Smith as he headed in the equalizer in the 43rd minute. In the 66th minute, Marcelino Moreno of Atlanta hit an absolute worldie from out 30 yards out probably more than that right into the top right corner and benji michelle and vanderwater combined to equalize the game once more for orlando in the 79th minute and in the 87th minute the orlando legend himself nani got his head at the end of a beautiful vanderwater cross to win the game for the purple lions this this game really had everything a joseph martinez goal a nani goal and quite a lot of goals in the middle Orlando now sit in the second in the east, while Atlanta languish in 11th. Jack and I both predicted an Orlando win, just not the right scoreline. I said two to one for 10 points. Jack said three to zero, you know, got the Orlando scoring three goals, right? Uh, Atlanta, maybe he underestimated just a a tad. It's kind of easy to underestimate them right now, to be fair. Very, very true. Uh, Jack, that was it for our last week's predictions. Do you want to have the honors and... (sighs) Tell us the score. What happened there? Well, uh, I, I got an okay amount, you know, 30 points. Yeah. Not too bad. Uh, AJ, um, 
you got 10 points. Yes. Which is not fantastic, but definitely it's still not your worst. Yes. So, <laughs> the, of course, the worst is actually five points. I, I looked back. It was it was zero originally. But since you predicted March Madness correctly, uh-huh. you got five points from that. Okay. So I got zero. I'm the only one who has zero points. I, technically. I, I have a feeling that have I not predicted zero points before? No, you haven't. You, okay. it, you got saved from that. I am the one who's predicted yes. zero points because. Uh-huh. But so it's not your worst one ever. Thank you, Baylor. Thank you, Baylor University. <laughs> yes. Well, obviously, I didn't do great, but hopefully this week. I, I, t- I did a lot of research for this, so I'm OK. Thinking, you, you, you want you want the win. Want I, the I win. want the win. We are talking a lot about the Olympics uh, this week because it just so happens that the schedule for the Olympics really lines up correctly for us. It even really though, does. Uh, the women's is going to be literally before this episode releases. So, but whatever, whatever. Let's start off with the U.S. Women's National Team versus Canada. Uh, Jack, this is a North American rivalry. I'll let you take the lead on this. Who's winning this? Well, both of these teams got wins against powerhouse teams via penalty shootouts which will give both teams some confidence going into the game. The U.S. women's national team had an impressive game against the Netherlands, and if Tobin Heath figured out how to stay on side, they would have won their game comfortably. <laughs> yeah. Alyssa Nair came up huge, and I think she will in the game against Canada as well. Plus, the U.S. women's national team actually haven't lost to Canada in seven previous matches. Yes. So yeah. I, I don't think that it's going to change. I think the U.S. will make it to the final this time around, and I think they're going to win it 2-0. to zero. Two to zero. Ooh, yeah. A nice dosisero there. I yeah. like it. I like it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to one up you there. The U.S. haven't lost to Canada. I, I think yeah, since 2001. Wow. OK. okay. Uh, I was only a couple months old there. I think you were too. I, I was about a year old. then. OK. So. All right. Flex on me. Whatever. Yeah, I'm, whatever. I'm old. I know. The USA is leading this tie 52 to three to seven. It's <laughs> very one sided, to be fair. However, anything can change. Anything can change. Throughout this tournament, the USA have looked timid or outmatched tactically. If there's ever a time that Canada can beat the USA, it's now. It all comes down to if the U.S. Women's National Team can close down Canada's front four of Sinclair, Becky, Prince, and Fleming. I think the USA have the firepower to get past their defense, but Canada's attack is also pretty potent at times. I'm staying patriotic, though. I'm going 3-1 to one for the USA. Okay, okay. Uh, for Australia versus Sweden, the other semifinal for the women's tournament... This is a rematch of a Group G game, which very quickly, I have to mention our predictions uh, for the, 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 the quarterfinals and who would make the semifinals. Oh. <laughs> Jack, if you remember, I believe uh, the men's, I'm going to have to look back at it, but it was not exactly uh, the best showing from from you no offense or anything I, I think you're, you're <laughs> probably right on that if i if i'm looking at this uh, i found it yep, yeah i i missed on mexico versus south korea uh-huh i got brazil right yes yeah i got spain right and i believe i predicted japan to go yes you did well. you got so three, i got three out of four three out of but four but you got four out of four I, yes I, believe. I got i got mexico brazil japan and mexico in the the men's side on the women's side do you know what you did uh i think i got um I think I got two right. Did yes, I? You did. I got Australia and Sweden right. I, yes, I, you did. I missed the entire top side of the bracket, <laughs> <laughs> and I got pretty proud of this. Three out of four. I, I said uh, I didn't believe in Sam Kerr. I said uh, Great Britain would go through, but I got everything else. You have to believe in Sam Kerr. Yeah, but what this proves is that Group G was the strongest group of this tournament, and Group F terrible. Group F sucks. Wow. Uh, no, no. But but seriously, Group G makes up three out of the four semifinalists in this sure. women's bracket. Australia and Sweden is a rematch of a Group G game. 
Sweden won that game four to two. And listen, I like Sam Kerr. West Ham have two players on this Australian team, but it took them until extra time to beat Great Britain. Meanwhile, Sweden have scored in every single half that they've played this tournament. There hasn't been a single time where they've looked like they weren't in control. So I'm going for two to nil for Sweden. Goals from, I'll say, Rolfo and Jacobson. Jack, what do you think? Sweden has been one of the best teams at this tournament, without a doubt. They destroyed the host Japan in a 3-1 quarterfinal win, and now they've come up against Australia, who won a 4-3 thriller over Great Britain. Sweden even beat Australia 4-2 in the group stage, and Sweden have never lost to Australia. Wow. Wow. However, however... At the beginning of the tournament, I jumped onto the Sam Kerr hype train, and I'm not planning on ditching it now. I refuse to get off the Sam Kerr hype train, and because of that, I'm going for an upset 2-1 wow. win wow. for Australia. Just because. It, 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 it makes it more fun anyway. It does. It does. It does. Oh Watch, it's going to happen now. I'm, gonna, I'm manifesting it. Sam Kerr scoring both goals wow. and scoring an own goal. Get a hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to do it all. Uh, if that happens, I don't, you know, I, I, I'll I'll give you the win automatically. If that really happens. okay, if Australia wins, no, if Australia wins and Sam Kerr scores two goals and a own goal, okay, okay, you know what, the score doesn't matter. If she scores two goals and an own goal, I'll okay. give you the win automatically. Okay, we'll see. We'll okay, see what there happens. You go. Well, that's set in stone now. All right, uh, Mexico U twenty three versus Brazil U twenty three. This is the Olympics men's tournament. Uh, Jack, seeing as you're such big fans of both Mexico and Brazil, why don't you take this game? Yeah, uh, Mexico had a fantastic <laughs> game over South Korea, where they won 3-6, to six, whereas Brazil had a conservative 1-0 win over Egypt. Now, you might make, that might make you think that Mexico are the favorites because they're scoring a lot. However, Mexico has a good offense, but their defense has been a bit of a liability this tournament. Uh, and because of that, and I, I need to mention Brazil. Brazil's been spectacular at both ends of the pitch. They they've uh, been they've been better against poor defenses as well, like Germany, where they shattered them four to two. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think Brazil should make it to the gold medal match. And I think it's going to be a three one win. I don't think they'll keep a clean sheet because Mexico's offense is very good. But I think Brazil's, uh, you know, their forwards should get this. Richarlison has been doing well. Claudinho has been doing pretty well as well. Danny Elves at 38 is still making massive recovery <laughs> runs. And yeah, I, I think I think they'll win it. All right. Well, this is another disagreement from us. Oh, okay. This is going to be a, a fun week. This is such a huge game, especially given the history between these two teams at the Olympics. The 2012 Olympic finals was Brazil versus Mexico. Mexico right. won that. And it's this is such a hard game to really predict because Mexico has scored 14 goals in four games. Brazil have scored seven. However, I like Brazil squad more with Richarlison, Paulinho, Anthony Acuna has been playing well since he's uh, kind of stunk up the place in the first game. <laughs> But Mexico squad also has a lot of cohesion with Cordova, Martin, Vega. Uh, Lainez has been only okay. And Roma playing very well. This is so tough. But I'm actually going with Mexico. Oh. I don't want Mexico to get gold because I don't want them to also win the gold cup and rub that in our faces. I'm going two to one to them in extra time. Okay. Okay. Uh, Japan U23 versus Spain U23. This is a rematch of the Group D game, actually. And guess who won? It was Japan, actually. We say Spain is the better squad in this entire tournament, but Japan won that game. Home field advantage is real, even if there's no fans. That, that was at a, a way earlier Olympics, though, right? You can check. Oh, um, I, because they weren't in the same group. They, were they not? J- Japan was in group A. Well, did I look at that incorrectly? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you're looking, you were looking at the All wrong... Right. Hold on, let me... Quick. 
Because I could have sworn that I, was the 2012 Olympics. Oh my you, gosh! You, <laughs> you know what? I'm actually not going to cut this out. I need, I need to live with that embarrassment. So I guess Spain what? had a red card in that game as well. So okay, mm, that's going to carry over now. Oh. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. So so scratch everything I said there, but keep this in mind, right? Japan, seven goals for one conceded. Home field advantage is very real. Spain in the groups only had two goals for and one goals against, and but they exploded against the Ivory Coast to win that uh, 5-2, whatever, whatever. The thing about this matchup is that Japan plays poorly against teams that will sit back, but it's why they only won against, uh, won against South Africa by one and had to go to penalties against New Zealand. However, it's why they played very well against the likes of France. Spain won't sit back. It's Spain. They physically, I don't think they physically can sit back. Both teams went to extra time last game, but Spain's players also had to deal with Euro fatigue. I think that's going to catch up to them. Pedri played his 70th game of the season (laughs) and has played the majority of minutes in this tournament and the Euros and uh, for the end of the Barcelona season. Home field advantage plus Spain fatigue equals a three to two thriller Japan win. Jack, take it away. I'm going to diagnose this run then uh, because I I noted both of them have to play 120 minutes, but... Spain just seemed to click at the quarterfinals, and Japan seemed to almost take a step back and unclick a little bit. Hmm, okay. Just a little bit, because they weren't able to score at all in their game against New Zealand. And yes, they, New Zealand sat back, but they probably should have still scored. Japan have the home advantage, but Spain are a great team. I think it will be a very conservative 1-0 win for Spain. That, that's what I'm going to say. Another disagreement. I... We've only agreed on one of these so far, so that's that that makes it more exciting for this week. Mm, okay. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh let's see if we disagree or agree on this one. This is Leicester City versus Manchester City in the Community Shield. First official game of the English season. Jack, take it away. I know Chelsea, you wanted them to be here, but who do you have winning this? Well, yes, the glorified preseason matchup of the Community yeah. Shield. Yeah. These two teams were both pretty exciting last season and they both uh, uh, one once each in the league last season, but now they face off at Wembley to win a literal charity trophy. Uh, ultimately, I think that Leicester will win this one, uh, and that that might be a bit of a bold claim. But I think Manchester City might have a lot of players who still might not be in the squad, like Phil Foden, Kyle Walker, Ederson, John Stones, Gabriel Jesus, and, and Raheem Sterling. They might be back from their vacations, but they might not be ready to play. So I think that could hurt them. Leicester will be missing Johnny Evans, Timothy Castagna, and James Justin, but that's it. Leicester should be able to win, but I think just barely. My guess is two to one for that. All right. Well, guess what, Jack? What? I also had two to one for Leicester City. Oh my God, no way. And you know why? Because you're right. Uh, Manchester City might not play their best teams. In fact, Pep Guardiola actually went out and said that he was going to play and utilize a lot of U23 players. So you are right there on the money. Uh, but what makes us hard is that we don't know exactly what players that are going to play. Right. Uh, we know that there are a lot of players that uh, have played in international tournaments that need rest. For Leicester, you already mentioned them, but I think they also have a very strong lineup that includes the likes of Vardy, Nacho, Soyunuchu, uh, Tielmans, and their new center forward, Patson Daka from Salzburg. That's going to be exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. I think I just think Leicester City think that the Community Shield is more important compared to how City see it. City have won it already six times. If Pep isn't bluffing, I see him sending out the likes of Zach Steffen, uh, Nathan Aki, Diaz, Cancelo, Fernandinho, Mares, Mendy. 
Then we have youth players like Delap, Palmer, Doyle, Lavia. A mixture of young and old, but for sure not their strongest lineups. I think because Pep is nerfing this team, it'll be close. Uh, I'm going to say a Leicester City win. That's what I'm going to say. Well, I'm actually going to put in for this uh, game because I want to really spice things oh, up. Okay. It's a one to nil Manchester City oh. win. I'm going with the Empire, the evil guys. I'm having them win. I'm sorry, Jack. I, I, I can't I can't agree. I, I need as much drama this this week as possible. The thing is, I don't even like Leicester <laughs> yeah. because the, because because of the FA Cup win. But you know what? I I want I want them to win just because I don't want Manchester City to win again. All right. That's about it. All right. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. I'll be happy either way. All right, Jack, that is it for our predictions. You feeling good? Yes or no? Yeah, pretty good. You know, I, I took some risks like uh, Australia over Sweden, uh, but it'll be fine. All I right. Think, maybe. All right. Well, that is it for the final third podcast. Jack, where can people find us? On Twitter at Final Third Show. Check it out on there or Instagram, but probably Twitter because we post there more often. Uh, watch us talk about penalties that aren't penalties and <laughs> uh, probably AJ talking or tweeting at 4 a.m. about uh, the U.S. Women's National Team and how, you know, every player on our team scored a hat trick Hopefully. Uh, the, for a 33 to zero <laughs> against, against Canada. Hey, subs to subs to. So. Oh, right. So let, let's see that. That's 42. 42. Yeah, yeah four, sure. 42 to zero. Yep. Uh, but uh, make sure to follow us on there for some fun times. Also for Fantasy Premier League, which will hopefully finally get around to doing soon enough. <laughs> yes, yes. Also follow us on whatever podcast platform you like most. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, uh, all the other ones that I'm forgetting. Uh, but also, more importantly, leave us a review and rating if that podcast platform allows that. It helps us so, so much. Word of mouth also helps us a lot. Telling a friend about our coverage of the Olympics, our coverage of the Gold Cup, uh, does so, so much wonders for our listenership so go ahead do that tell your dad even about the show i'm sure he would love to hear us ramble on about mexico and brazil and all these other teams so go ahead and do that and we'll see you guys this thursday for a very 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 special episode of our deep dive edition in same time same place for our uh uh, you know, our news and predictions episode, which is not going to feature me probably next week. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on a vacation, so it's going to be Jack and ooh, a special guest. So uh, we have that to look forward to. That's going to be next Monday. All right. See ya. Bye for now.